in case you're wondering what that was. It's, the, it's called the announcements of the movable feasts, and it happens every epiphany. And the reason is, is because, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a tradition. The reason it's a tradition because for a long time, people didn't have calendars. And they needed to know when these feasts were. And the biggest feast is Easter. And when Easter is set, everything else in the liturgical year revolves around it. And so it shows the centrality of the resurrection. As much as Christmas is awesome and beautiful, Easter is probably the greatest feast of all. When I was chaplain at St. Mary's High School, I used to make my students, and I say make because I, I graded them, but I used to make them watch The Lord of the Rings. I know I'm talking about The Lord of the Rings again, don't worry. It's not a whole homily, it's just a thought. I still do this, actually. At the School of the Holy Family, I had... I teach the, the high school kids and every, three times a year, right? We watch the, the trilogy. And what happens basically is we get together over at a student's house. All the kids come over and I cook a pasta for them. We eat and then we watch the movie and we discuss afterwards like all the Catholic, you know, underpinnings that Tolkien kind of weaved into this masterpiece of The Lord of the Rings. Every year the students would be amazed at how much... Catholicism can be put into these stories and like the fullness of the human drama. One year, I had this kid. He was a sworn atheist. 18 years old. He didn't even know who the heck he was. Sworn atheist. And he would challenge me on everything. And he would always lose because I was smarter than he was. (laughs) But he would challenge me on every single thing. And the Lord of the Rings was no different. He always had some smart aleck comment that he had to just kind of Drive in there. And so at the end of the third, the, the return of the king, one of the girls, we were having a discussion, one of the girls said, Father, it's fascinating how Tolkien could take like a story and put all of what we experience as humans into it and capture all of it through this symbolism. I said, I know, it's amazing. And then this kid pipes up and he's like, yeah, it's great. It's a good movie, but it's a story. That's it. It's not true. Is that what we're dealing with today? Story? Something made up? I mean, because let's be honest, you guys, it's pretty far-fetched, this story of the epiphany. You got these guys who come from thousands of miles, we don't know, somewhere in the east, for what? To find a baby? That's weird. And then you got this deranged king who's so crazy... And so afraid of losing power from a baby (laughs) that he ends up ordering the slaughter of hundreds, if not thousands of children. Come on. And the best part of all, (laughs) the star. Like there was really this star that kind of was floating in the sky and then came down over this little barn and everybody's like, whoa, look at that. Let's go check it out. That's goofy. Far-fetched. Right now, you guys, the world splits believers and non-believers into two categories. They break apart faith and reason. As if you have faith and you're a believer, you're unenlightened. You're foolish. You believe in this other world that just doesn't really exist around us. Because science can't prove that. And then the other group is the science-believing community. They're the enlightened ones. They understand all of the world. And they look at this gospel today and they say it's a joke. It's far-fetched. It's made up. It's a story. It's a myth. It's a crutch. 
Or is it? How about the Magi? Have any of you in the, ever in your life, outside of this story, heard of Magi? Ever? I mean, you can just raise your hand if you have. I haven't. You have? Where'd you hear about them? From what? From your big, big brother. Well, okay, well, yeah, that's fair. I had a guy last night, he raised his hand, he's like, oh yeah, I've heard of Magi. I'm like, from what? He's like, they're a high school basketball team. I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, I'm talking about like actual, in the history of the world, I had, I had never heard of Magi until I was in seminary. And then I found out that there was this man, his name was Pliny the Elder, kind of a strange name, but he was a Roman historian. And he wrote actual Roman history. And he, wrote, he writes about this guy of the king of Armenia. And in 66 AD, 3,000 people traveled with this king from Armenia to Rome to meet with Caesar. And among them are Magi. Huh. Who'd have thought? And guess what happens when they get to Rome? They come before Caesar, they offer him gifts, and they bow down and offer him worship and obedience. Maybe these magi from the east aren't made up. Maybe they were a real group of people. Okay, so that's a possibility. But King Herod, come on, nobody's that crazy. Nobody's going to order the slaughter of innocent babies because he's afraid of losing his throne. You guys think about this. At the, Jesus, by the time Jesus is old enough to be a king, Herod will be dead. Is he really worried that a baby's going to run up and take his throne? He can't be that crazy. We know from historical accounts, written historical accounts, that Herod had over 3,000 bodyguards. He had several wives. He killed one of them and three of his sons because he thought that they were trying to overthrow him. He killed 300 of his military officers because he thought that they were plotting to overtake him. And on, he decreed on the day of his death that an entire village should be slaughtered so that if nobody would mourn for him, at least people would be sad on that day. Yeah, this guy's nuts. And it would not be that far-fetched to think that he would slaughter innocent children if he killed all of these other people. Okay, so that's two for three. But third, the star. Come on. Really? Really? There was a real bright star that these guys saw and they followed. Come on. Is there any evidence for this? There is, actually. In 6 BC, we know from astronomy, in 6 BC, April 17th, 6 BC to be exact, which is right around the time that we would say that Jesus may have been born, there was an alignment of four different astronomical, astrological planets or moons or stars. Jupiter, Saturn, the moon, and the sun all aligned in the constellation of Aries. Okay? 
This is really cool. I just figured this out this morning, early, because I couldn't sleep. You know what the symbol of Aries is? From astrology, you know what the symbol of Aries is? Anybody? It's a ram. Seriously, you guys, do you understand? If we talk about the East and the Magi being astronomers, they followed the stars. And if this alignment happens in the constellation of Aries, which is a ram, which, if you don't know this, is a sheep. Hmm? Let's think back to Abraham. Right? Abraham and Isaac are going up the mountain. And Isaac looks over. He's like, Dad, we got fire. We got wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And when he's about to slaughter his own son, God stops him and says, don't harm the child. And what does Abraham find caught in the thicket? A ram. And God would provide the Lamb of God for all of us. You guys never look excited as I want you to. <laughs> Sad. So not only is there proof this extremely bright star, but there's a few reasons why it actually makes sense. First of all, it would have been extremely bright because it's four different light sources lining up. Second of all, it would have been in the morning. It would have been a rising star in the morning, which the gospel evangelist alludes to. It was the rising star. And third, it's right around the time that we would guess that Jesus would have been born. Who'd have thought? It seems that the more we try to learn about Jesus in the gospels, the more clear it is that we're not talking about a myth or something made up. We're talking about actual history. So what does that have to do with us right here, right now? I would say four things. Because if the birth of Jesus is an actual historical event, and we know that the crucifixion and death and resurrection was an actual event, then four things follow from that. Number one, you and I matter to God. Or he never would have come. He never would have died the brutal death that he did. Second, evil, sin, death. I know it looks like it's winning out there, but it doesn't in the end. Life does. Love does. Third, there is life after death. And fourth, maybe most importantly, the call to repent and respond to what God has done for us is a serious one and an urgent one. So do you believe this? Or is it just a nice story? Do you like to come here and sing the three wise men and we three kings, all that stuff? Because if it's true, what are you going to do? The wise men did something. They searched diligently for God. And when they did, they found him. And when they found him, everything changed in their lives. We know this because of a little detail in the gospel. It says, when they found him and laid their gifts and offered him worship, it said they were warned in a dream... To not go back to Herod. And they returned home by a different way. Why? Because once you encounter Jesus, you can't go back the way you came. Everything's different. It should be. And if it's not, I don't think you've encountered him. When you truly encounter him, you can't go back to being the person you were. 
You live a different way because Jesus changes people. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that somebody made up. It's true. The Magi sought him diligently and when they encountered him, it changed everything. On the Feast of the Epiphany, will you do the same? Will you search diligently for him? And in finding him, you will be found.